Well, you know, the idea of joy, the whole concept of joy, is a very interesting concept. Because it seems to me, as I look around, as I look around this world, it seems to me that this world we live in, the people of this world, are trying very hard to chase the concept of joy. Everybody wants joy. I mean, nobody in life would say, you know, I don't want joy. I don't want to be miserable. That's my goal. Some people I wonder, maybe. But, you know, everyone's chasing joy. <clears throat> Clarissa and I had a great privilege to get away together and go on a little vacation. Uh, and last week, that's why I was gone. And uh, it was very interesting. Uh, while we were on vacation, one day it rained profusely. And so we had an opportunity to go and preview a new hotel in the area. When I got there, I discovered that it wasn't previewing a new hotel. It was looking at a timeshare sales presentation. And uh, some of you have sat through timeshare presentations, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you sit down, and it's high-pressure sales, and they're in your face, and they're talking to you about how great this thing is. And, and uh, it was really interesting. At one point in the sales conversation with this saleswoman, she said that this could change my life. I mean, it, it really, she was saying, if you could just take control of your life and if you had this vacation property and you could do this two or four weeks a year, you're, you would have joy in your life. I mean, I just sort of scratched my head and it seems to me the world's greatest avenue towards joy is taking control of your life. And that's, it seems to me that the people in this world think that if we're just in control of our lives, then we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. And that's joy. Joy comes from control. That's the message we've all bought into at one time or another. I mean, really, it's the American dream. Denny talked about that last week in his message. You know, the American dream, this ability that I can become my potential and seize control of my life and do whatever I want to do with my life. And I got to confess, control sounds nice to me sometimes. I mean, that kind of sounds nice that I would grab a hold and seize control of my life and determine where I go and what I do and how I do it. That sounds really nice. But you know what? I have come to learn as I get older, at 37 years old now, uh, as I get older, I've learned that control in life is a complete and utter illusion. It's simply an illusion. Listen, when my kids were younger, okay, my oldest is 12, my youngest is seven. And uh, when they were younger, I felt like I could control them, you know? If one of my kids throws a temper tantrum, I can pick them up like a, a plastic bag of groceries from the back and throw them in their room. You know, they don't want to go to their room. Boom, there, you're in the room. Door locked, done. I'm in control. But man, my, my kids are older now. My, my son, Nicholas, at 12, almost 13, he's as tall as I am. He's got, his hands are bigger than mine now. His feet are bigger than mine. I got, on Thursday night, we got into a punching contest, you know. And so, you know, I'm thinking, I'm a big guy. I can take him and inflict some pain on him. He punched me right in the hip. And I'm telling you, it still hurts today. He's very proud of that. It hurts today. <laughs> I can still take you, Nicholas. I can still do it. But, you know, the, the older I get, the more I realize that it really control in life is an illusion. You know, if a teenager decides to make a terrible choice to a certain degree as parents, we can't control it. We can make their lives miserable, <laughs> but we can't control them. How much more so when they're 20 or 30 or 40 or older, when your kids are making decisions that you don't like? Control is an illusion. 
But there are things in our life that we all try to control. Our children are one of them. We try to control our spouses, right? All of us try to control our spouses. Command controls an illusion. You ever try to get your spouse to change their spending habits, right? You know controls illusion. If they don't spend any money, you're not going to get them to spend. And if they spend money, you're not going to get them to stop. By the way, some of you, a little shameless plug here, need to go to Financial Peace University really badly. Uh, Dave Ramsey does such a great job of helping couples get on track in their finances together, get on the same page. But, you know, if you try to control your spouse, it doesn't work. You try to control your boss or your employees, try to control your family members, your friends. I mean, so many people try to, in, in their churches across this country, try to control their church leaders or their fellows, brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us at one point have thought, if I could just control the political system in our country, all would be well. I think our primary source of control for us, or one of the primary, is manipulation. I mean, we use it to maintain the illusion of control. So many times we don't even realize that we're doing it, that we're manipulating people. We lie, we stretch the truth, we leave out key details to control the situations in our lives and in others. And all of us at some point in our lives can point to somebody in our lives who is a manipulator. I mean, you just stop and think right now. Everyone can probably raise their hand and go, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about, Dave. I got a manipulator in my life and they're in my family. And, you know, but very rarely do any of us stop and ask the question, am I a manipulator? That's our magnitude. It's the magnitude of our desire for joy is that we think if we simply control our circumstances to get what we want, then we'll find joy. But we could not be more wrong. Joy does not come from control it comes from something else. This is what Jesus is about to tell us in John chapter 15. Jesus is about to tell us something about joy. Look, look at the text with me. He gives us this hint right in the middle of the passage, right smack dab in the middle of the day. In verse 11 of chapter 15, he says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He drops that right smack in the middle of this passage today as a hint of what he's going to tell us. Now, we've been in the Gospel of John for a long time, and we've got a ways to go still. But we're plugging through this entire Gospel. And uh, when we get here to chapter 15, I-, I want to remind you what I've reminded you of often, that the Gospel of John can be split into two halves. We have in the first half, book one, if you want to call it, is the book of signs. And two that we're in now, book two, is the book of glory. And what you'll notice is if you're looking at the Gospel of John, it's really fascinating. When Jesus has a continually narrowing focus in the Gospel of John, he starts with a very broad, wide audience. He's meeting these disciples. He's saying, hey, come check me out. See what I'm about. And as the Gospel goes forward, Jesus' focus narrows. By the time we get to John chapter 15, Jesus is alone with his disciples. It's Jesus and the 11. And that's his audience. That's what John is telling us, is that the gospel of John is narrowing like a funnel. It seems almost counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, we think start small and end big. End with a splash, a bang, you know? So just get a few and start and build it, get momentum. And by the end, we'll have a big audience. 
Jesus does it exactly the opposite. All through the Gospel of John, he's alienating people. He's making people angry with him. He's turning people away. He's saying, listen, you can't do this, what I'm asking. He's continually focusing this down. So by John 15, it's just Jesus and the disciples. And so by the time we get to here, Jesus is really giving his closing speech. He's, he, this is the last few days of Jesus' life. He's into this place where he's going, I am leaving and I need to equip my disciples. He's telling them that he's going to go. And he's giving his last instructions to them. Now, if I'm giving the final instructions to, you know, my family or if I'm, a, you know, in the military and I'm giving my final instructions to the troops, you know, I, I'm saying a message of very different than what Jesus says here. If you look, I, I, would, I would imagine if I was given the strategy, it would be, okay, guys, Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave you. The 11 of you are in charge. Here's what I want you to do. A divide and conquer strategy. You'll all take a different region and we'll all split up and you'll go and you'll train more. and We'll split and we'll divide and we'll conquer the world. Or maybe Jesus would spend his last day giving them training and time management skills. I mean, because, you know, be honest, they got a big task ahead of them. And, you know, they're not going to be able to use their time well if they're playing Nintendo all day. And so, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, if I were doing it, I'd be giving them time management skills or a leadership seminar. Or if I was doing it, I'd be like, you guys need to be in touch with your inner strength to tap into the real you. So you have the power to do this big thing that I've set you out to do. But Jesus says something completely and utterly different than all of that. John 15, 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Friends, the point today is that the most important thing that you can do to accomplish the mission of Christ is to remain connected to Jesus Christ. This, I mean, Jesus, it would make sense to me. He'd go, okay, guys, I'm cutting the leash right now, all right? I'm letting you off because I'm leaving. Go get him. But Jesus says the exact opposite. If you want to be effective, he needs to rein you in. You need to be close to him. Because he has the power. This isn't a, you know, cut you loose and set you go, let you go. It's a, uh, don't leave me because you can't do this without me. Jesus is saying that being in an intimate relationship with him is the single most important thing you can do as a believer in Jesus Christ. Be in relationship. Now, relationship is a word that um, we talk about a lot here at Waukee Community Church because we really believe in the value of relationship. Uh, at Waukee Community Church, we see that being just busy isn't what Jesus asks of his disciples. Just being a busy person, doing a lot of activity for the kingdom of God is not what Jesus is asking. And so at Waukee Community Church, we say, listen, relationships are what's important. This isn't about programs. We're not going to chalk you full of 17,000 programs that you can pick or choose what fits your busy life and take what you want. That's programs are not what we're about. We're about relationships. And you've heard us talk about that. And oftentimes we talk about these three circles. You know, if you were to have three circles uh, to draw three circles, this was what it would be mean to be in relationship at Waukee Community Church. We talk about the Sunday morning circle and then we talk about the life group piece and then the service piece. Those are the three big things. And every one of those things is relationship driven. You know, um, 
Thomas talked about the Keys to Waukee class that's coming up on February 20th. And if you have been, we've never done anything like this. And so, you know, everyone should come. <laughs> if you've been here six months, a year, whatever, you come to this class because uh, it'll give you an opportunity in about 35 minutes to learn the essentials of what it means to be part of Waukee Community Church and, and where to go from there. But everything we do, it, we try to make it relationship-based. So in John chapter 15, it's important to notice here that Jesus highlights four, rela- sorry, four, four relationships. And they really form a structure for this passage. And if, if you look, relationship number one here is simply this idea of the disciples, the believers relationship with Christ. And it's an abiding kind of relationship. Remain, abide. That's what kind of relationship it is. And then later on, he highlights that the believers, the disciples, the relationship with other believers. And, and you'll see that start in verse 12 and work through verse 17. And then next week, what we're going to talk about is these next two relationships. Relationship with the world, which is one of hostility. And then lastly, ne- next week, this fourth relationship in John 15, we're going to talk about the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're a co-laborer with him. If you're tired, friends, of fighting for control of your life, if you truly desire to find a joy in Jesus that God wants you to have, if you truly desire to do what God wants you to do, the very first thing you need to know is that you need to be in relationship with Christ. Number one, that relationship with Christ. This abiding relationship. Now, listen, a relationship with Jesus... That is a completely overused Christianese word. We talk about, do you have a relationship with Jesus? We don't even know what we mean by that anymore. Most people mean, well, I I signed off and prayed a prayer when I was seven. And I have a relationship with Jesus. But that's not what I'm, I want to just kind of, I wish I could throw out that term and reclaim it. Because that's not exactly what Jesus had in mind in John chapter 15. If if, If you're tired of controlling your life, You need to understand that a relationship with Christ is one of abiding. If you want joy, you must abide. So there's really four concepts about abiding in John chapter 15. I just want to work through this passage today with you and highlight these four concepts in John 15 in our section, verses 1 to 17. And the first concept that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15 is the one of divine the branch and the vine, the vine and the gardener. Look at, look at Jesus starts this illustration in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. Right, right from the get-go, Jesus is saying, I, I got a new metaphor I want to talk to you about. Time out here. Okay, I am the vine, my father's the gardener. Jesus is invoking this image of a vineyard for his disciples. Now, this is not new to Israelites. You have to understand, in in Isaiah chapter 5 and Ezekiel chapter 15, this concept of the vineyard as the people of Israel was laid forth. And and people of the Israelites who understood their Bible at this point, which would be most of them, understood that in in this image of the vineyard, God was the owner of the vineyard and the Israelites were in the vineyard. They were vines. And what's very interesting here is that Jesus changes the metaphor slightly. And he completely changes the meaning. It's not just, oh, I'm an Israelite, so I'm in the vineyard. What Jesus is saying is, 
He's not the gardener. He's not the owner of the vineyard. Jesus is the vine in the vineyard. And his disciples are the branches. And this is a complete new new take on this metaphor for them. Now, why would Jesus change this metaphor? Well, he wants to highlight the utter dependency that his disciples are to have on him. A vine could possibly grow outside of a vineyard. It could grow out in the wild. It could grow in somebody else's vineyard. It could grow somewhere else. But a branch cannot survive without the vine. A branch cannot grow without the vine. It's a dead branch. It's worthless. So as followers of Jesus Christ, what Jesus wants you to understand today is that without him, you are able to accomplish nothing. Even though we might try. So Jesus brings up in verse 1 this new metaphor of the vine and the gardener. Now, and Jesus says, I am the vine. You're the branches. Now, the second concept I want to talk today about is pruning. And this is, can be found in verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, listen, okay, my father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're all, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remember, Jesus here is talking to his disciples. They're the ones he's focusing on. And he's saying, listen, okay, for a branch to produce fruit, for a branch to produce fruit, it must be attached to the vine. And sometimes branches need to be pruned. Now verse 3 is very interesting because in the NIV it says... um, It says, uh, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That is the same word as pruned. So he's saying, you're already pruned. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've already been crafted and molded, and I've been working on you for like three years now. All right? And you are, Jesus is saying, you're ready. As my disciples, you're attached to the vine, and you're ready to go. In other words, Jesus is saying, watch what I'm about to do through you. They're pruned and ready to go. Now, the third concept is, is really the concept of abiding. And, th- and this is in verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. It's very important to understand that word remain is the same one that I'm using as abide. It's the very same word. It's the Greek word meno. It's used 11 times in this very passage alone. And, and it's a key word in John's gospel. Literally, the word meno, this word abide or remain, literally this means to stay somewhere and not go anywhere. It means, it, it means to just plant yourself and not move. That's what the idea of remain or abide means. It's not this magical thing. It's just this term that invokes dependency. It invokes remaining intimate and essential in the life of Jesus. And letting Jesus be intimate, essential in your life. I prefer the term abide because I, I just think it sounds better than remain. But it's the same idea. This idea of abiding in Christ. And it's this idea of intimate knowledge. If you want to abide or stay or remain in Christ, intimate knowledge of him is required. Now listen, I'm closer to my wife Clarissa than any other person in this world. I'm closer to her. I'm, I know her better than anybody else on the face of this planet. I know a lot of things about her. I know certain public things about her. 
I know things that a lot of people know. I know that she's a people person and, and that she's wired in such a way that and she just loves people and God has given her a gift in that way. I know that she's 30-something years old, right? And so uh, you can fill in the gap. I know that she was adopted uh, by her, her father, adopted her. And so uh, I know that. That's pretty public. I know that she hates salad dressing, which most people, if you know her at all, know. And I know that she was born in Arizona, but she's not an Arizona Cardinals fan. So I converted her to the Bears. All right, here's the thing. Uh, I know a lot of public things about her, but I also know some things that are more private things, some more, just some more gen, genuinely uh, intimate things. I know that when Clarissa is happy, her eyes sparkle in a way that just warms me to the core. She has this little sparkle to her eyes that I just love. And I, I know that right now, being pregnant, she craves pickles. Like, if you guys have some pickles here today, you're going to make her day. Because uh, she loves pickles, which is much better than the shrimp she craved when she was pregnant with Nicholas 12 years ago. It's much easier on the budget, right? Pickles, pickles are much easier. I know she appreciates my help with laundry around the house, but she has grac- graciously informed me that I'm not to ever wash her things again. Um, so, <laughs> very graciously told me that. Um, I know that the things that break her heart, I know when she's frustrated I know her passions. I know what makes her really alive. I know some things that deeper about her. And then I know some things about her that I'm not telling any of you ever, okay? Just being clear here. There's just different levels of my intimate knowledge of, of her. And I know all this because I've spent time with her. I've spent my life with her. I choose to get to know her. And in some ways, in many ways... In so many ways, Clarissa energizes me for ministry. Now, when we abide with Christ, we understand that he is our life source. When we become a believer in Jesus Christ, our identity as a person radically and completely changes. Our identity of who we are radically changes, friends. It would be like if you were a Packers fan and you came over to the light and became a Bears fan, right? I mean, you'd have a complete and utter identity shift. You would be so blessed. I mean, you'd be overflowing with joy. No, it's okay. It's a complete and utter identity change. I can't imagine somebody do going, you know, I love the Packers, but now I'm going to hate them and like the Bears, right? I mean, I just can't imagine someone doing that. But when you come to Christ, it's a complete and utter identity change. I was thinking this week about Colossians chapter 2. And I just, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to flip there for a second. Uh, Look at this. Um, In Colossians chapter 2, he starts in verse 6. And Paul is telling us about our relationship with Christ. Now listen to the things. Listen to this word in Christ and with Christ. He says to the Colossians, Paul says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. In verse 9 he says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in verse 11, in him we were circumcised. Verse 12, we have been buried with him in baptism. Verse 13, he says, God made you alive with Christ. I mean, we keep going down in verse 20. He says, since you died with Christ. And then in chapter 3, he says, since you have been raised with Christ. Friends, you don't even understand what Paul is doing. Is he's, make, he's letting us know that when we come to Jesus Christ, when we accept him, and believe in the forgiveness of sins, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ through faith alone, when we do that, our identity changes. 
And we're, not, we're now in him or with him. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's the same thing. It's being so intimately connected with the vine, with Jesus, that our identity totally and completely and utterly changes. So here's the question I have for you today. How do I, how do you abide? How do we do this, abide, remain in Christ? How do we do this? Well, our answers are found really back in John in, in verse 7. In John fifteen seven, Jesus says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Abiding in Christ is not difficult to understand, although it's difficult sometimes for us to do. Abiding in Christ starts with words. His words. It starts with the word. The word of Christ. The word of God. And some of you are going, oh no, Dave. Seriously, are you going to give me another read my Bible talk? I mean, you'll do that like every week. I'm so tired of you telling me to read my Bible. Okay, so if you're reading your Bible simply because Pastor Dave told you to, please stop. Please, if you're only doing it because I told you to do, just stop it. Because it's, it's pointless. It's silly. Because abiding in the words of Christ is based on love. It's about a passionate, driven love for Christ. Abiding is based on desire. Jesus tells us to abide because it know, he knows it takes effort. That's why he has to tell them. Abiding does take effort. It's hard sometimes. But Jesus is our treasure and great reward. We are Christians because we love him and desperately want to be close to him. We want to abide, so we need to know his words. So here, friends, if you can know, you need to know the words of Christ to abide. If you can know the words of Christ without reading your Bible, by all means, put your Bible away and don't read it. I mean, if you have this whole thing memorized, awesome. You know, that's great. If you can do that, abide with the words of Christ without reading this thing, fine, put it away. But I don't know anybody in my life who can do that. If you've dwelled on the words of Christ so much that you can't rip them from your brain, then stop reading. But for the rest of us, we need this daily life-sustaining words of God to abide with him. We need it desperately. We cannot live without it. We need, to be, we need them to permeate our life, to, to go through us and in us and around us because we so desperately want to be with him. And most of us, In this room, probably most of us have never even read the entire New Testament. Most of us in this room, probably most of us have never even read the four Gospels, the words of Christ, let alone the entire Bible. If you want to abide with Christ, you better know this thing. You better read it. It better pour in you and come out of you. It better seep out of your Whores because you know it, because you love the Savior of the universe so much that you don't want to be apart from it. We love the words. So don't claim to be a follower of Christ if you're unwilling to even read the words of Christ. Because they are how you abide with Him. And the Word of God shouldn't be read out of guilt, but out of desire. Because it's an abiding 
that our joy is made complete. It's like, God, I desire joy so much that I desire you. And I desire you so much that I can't let your words be apart from me. We abide through the word. But we also abide through prayer. (laughs) This isn't complicated, okay? Back back to verse 7. Look, he says, If my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Now, Jesus said something similar in John chapter 14, and I referenced what that means back in that sermon. So you'll have to go on the internet and listen to that if you forgot, okay? Because I don't have time to repeat it. But here's, here's the thing, all right? Abiding isn't just reading. It's knowing the heart of God and talking to him. Okay, so a while back, I ran into an old friend of mine. Now, this was a friend that at a past church, I was a really good friends with him. We hung out a lot. We talked. We shared heartaches together. I knew a lot about him. Uh, I knew what was going on in his life. And, and you know, I, probably, probably three, four times a week, I was on the phone or texting with him. And, and uh, we saw each other two or three times a week. It was just a really great friendship. And, uh, but I moved away and friendship parted. And it was probably like three years before I actually really had it. I mean, you know, you just sort of dwindle off in that communication. After about three years, I saw him again. And it was painful and awkward. I mean, I didn't know what was going on in his life. I didn't know even know what to ask him about. Like, how do I know what's going on in his life? I don't even know how many kids you have anymore, you know? I mean, I, I can't even, I don't know. And that describes the prayer life of many of us. We pray and it's awkward because we don't know the words of Christ. We don't know his heart. We don't know what's going on to know the intimate life of Christ. We don't abide. I was talking to some um, guys, actually from my life group, we were just talking about, you know, I, I want to pray, but sometimes I pray and I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. And I mean, it's just like, okay, you know, you get through all the list of, health ailments in your family and where you go after that and and how do you pray what do you do and and i I really believe that the word of christ should form our prayers and so uh i have this book here i got two copies you can have one today for the low price of 10 bucks all right (laughs) it can be yours and uh, i mean this book is is great ken boa wrote it and what he did is he just took scriptures every day there's like six different six or seven different sections and he took scriptures and he personalized them. So he put I's and me's in there uh, in the scriptures and made them prayers. And so he helps you to adore Christ. You start with adoration and then he gives you a scripture on confession and renewal and petition and intercession and affirmation and thanksgiving. And you just read through this and you let the words of Christ, the very scriptures, the word of God, you let it form your prayer because you're attached to the vine. You're letting the words of God help you figure out what to pray for. The word of God form, informs our prayer life. And so, I mean, I'll get a whole bunch of these because I just think they're the, the greatest thing ever and really help you in your prayer life. And I want to encourage you with that. And so there's two of them up here. If you want one, you can take both of them. Um, here's the thing, all right? Prayer and the word of God are the keys to abiding with Christ. And abiding isn't, prayer isn't a ritual, although ritual prayers can actually be helpful and I don't discourage them at all. But abiding is really about knowing the heart of Christ. All right, the, so we had the three concepts. So we started with the, the vine and the gardener, and, and then we moved on to pruning, and we talked about abiding. And, and the fourth concept I want to talk about is fruit bearing. And that's in verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, when we think about fruit, we, we tend to think about results, you know. I want to see results for God. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, certainly you want to see results. I want to see fruits. So we go out and we go, okay, I'm a believer in Christ. I need to produce some fruit. And so I need to try really hard to produce some great fruit for God. So we join a setup crew, <laughs> right, you know, and... Uh, we try to get the trailer open, even though it's frozen closed. And bless you, setup crew today. You know, uh, you know, we, you're, or we, you know, serve in the kitchen, or we're like, I'll get some fruit that way. Or you know, we even serve in children's ministry. And you know, Lord knows if you serve in children's ministry, guaranteed fruit, like in rewards, right? Because you know. And then we go out and we give money to homeless guys, guys with the golden tongue, you know, and we serve the poor and we think that this ought to bring me closer to Christ and bear fruit. And God will look at my fruit and go, wow, Dave, you're awesome. But just the opposite, it's true. In verse five, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse six, he says, if you try this Doing it by yourself? Look what happens. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withered up. I mean, if you cut the branch off the vine, it's not going to live. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. All right, now, oh, I got so much to deal with. All right, um, the point of this passage is not to scare the jeebies out of you. Jesus is not saying, oh, no, if you don't have any fruit or fruit that's big enough, then, then you're not really saved and you're going to throw it in the fire and go to hell. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think what Jesus is saying um, is that fruit produced apart from Christ is worthless. It can't even be done. And, and I think that the point of the, it's just to say a vine not attached, a branch not attached to the vine is worthless. Chuck Swindoll says, believers who do not abide in him are good for nothing. I think that's what he's saying here. Mark Driscoll says fruitfulness is not what we do for God, but what he does in us. So fruit is the result of God's work in us, not the result of our own effort. The only way to produce fruit is to abide. And the fruit is not for us. The fruit is for the vine owner. It's for the father. All right. I'm going to move through the end here. All right. So hang in here with me. Here we go. So what, the next question I have for you, if these are the four concepts of, really of abiding is the, is, as we've worked through here, uh, I, I want to ask this simple question. What are the results of abiding? What are the results of abiding in Christ? Well, the, the first result is found in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. The first result of abiding in Christ is God's glory. The point of Jesus' life is God's glory. The point of your life is God's glory. It's God's glory. The point of our life is not stuff or the American dream. The point is not providing a good upbringing for our children. In fact, side note here. Okay, time out. If you've decided that the point of your life is simply raising your kids to be good, upstanding American citizens and, and be successful parent, you're going to teach them something very dangerous. You're going to teach them that the point of their lives is about them. If you make the point of your lives about your kids, your kids are going to learn that the point of their life is about them. And you're going to raise awful children. (laughs) 
Our kids are being raised in a generation where everyone tells them that life's about them. It's about their glory. And we are selling our children a pack of lies. Our children need to understand that life is not about them and our lives need to be lived not for our children, but for the glory of God. May Waukee Community Church never, ever be accused of selling you the lie that your life is about you. Life is about God's glory. So the results of abiding are glory to God. The second of ab- result of abiding is obedience. Now look at verse 10. There it is again. Jesus says, okay, remain in my love, verse 9. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. Look at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus is saying, listen, the result of abiding, if you know my words, then it empowers you to be obedient. When we are able to abide with his words, we learn to love obedience. And Jesus has a very specific command in here. I mean, he's got a lot of commands in his words, but right here, he says, love each other. Think, if you think it's hard to, I mean, do you think it's hard to love people? I do. People are, people are pain in the butt, especially Christians sometimes, you know? I mean, we drive each other crazy, and there are sometimes these people who claim to be Christ can be the, we expect a lot of them, and they can let us down the most, and they can be the most frustrating people out there. Jesus says, abide in me more and you'll love them more because you'll know the heart of God. It's not control each other. It's not manipulate each other. It's love. And when God's glory is of the utmost importance in our lives, true love for people flows. (laughs) When the world loves people, it does it by holding its nose. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like you've seen people try to love each other they don't like. Like, Have you ever seen... um, like a political commentary where a Republican and Democrat were trying to get along. I mean, it's hilarious, you know? They're like, it's all I can do to be in the same room as you, and I want to hold my nose so I don't have to smell your liberal or conservative garbage that you're feeding me. I mean, they they hold their nose. But when we abide in Christ, we love because we're driven by God's commands. The third result of abiding is joy. Joy doesn't come from love for self. It doesn't come from control. It comes from abiding. It comes from losing ourselves in the vast love of Christ. It comes from obedience. And this is why we must abide. But let's face it. Abiding is hard. Abiding with Christ is incredibly hard. Jesus wouldn't have commanded it if it was easy. He wouldn't have had to. We would have just done it. Abiding is hard because for a number of reasons, but the world is pulling at us. I mean, constantly, you know, God's invisible, right? You can see him last time I looked. The world is pulling at us with a plethora of, of images and things that pull for our hearts. And, and relationships are hard. And when what you love is, is where you abide. And so the thing, we love things and we spend a lot of time with thing, other things, possessions and relationships outside of Christ and, and stuff. And you just name it. We abide there because we love those things and they're pulling us. But I think the biggest reason that it's hard to abide with Christ is because we live in a fast fruit culture. <laughs> like a fast food culture, but a fast fruit culture. We're like, okay, Jesus, sitting down with the word. I read three my three verses today. Sweet, I'm abiding. I'm ready to go do something, man. This is awesome. 
Woo! We get in there and, and then where's the fruit? And an hour later, we don't have the fruit. And so we're discouraged. See, that three verses today did me no good. Ah, abiding is hard. It takes time and energy. It takes focus and attention. It's not just, you know, um, let me show up on Sunday and get Pastor Dave's spiritual infusion and then leave. And, you know, because the fast fruit should only take 60 minutes. And look, Dave's gone like 75 already. And seriously, uh, I mean, this is not the fruit of abiding. That's the fruit of culture. I, I was laughing. I got an email this week. It was written by a student, uh, a high school student, and it was inviting churches to a student-sponsored worship conference. And I was laughing because I was just writing this very part of my section about fast fruit. And the student said to this, sometimes you just feel like you need a spiritual jolt of caffeine. Come to the worship conference where you'll get your caffeine and then you can go. I was just kind of rolling my eyes going, this is our culture. I mean, never mind the fact that the the fruit of life is the fruit of abiding for days and weeks and months and years for an entire life. When we abide in him, his fruit abides in us. All right, quickly, six things. Point of a disciple. I'm going to fly. So if you're taking notes, you're going to write these down really quickly. The profile of a disciple. Uh, Denny pointed this out to me this week. Um, as we were looking at this passage, preparing for message community, and I think that you can get a good, I mean, we talk about the blossom a lot and stuff like that, but I mean, you get a really good picture of the profile of a disciple here in John chapter 15. The first thing a disciple does, verse 7, if you remain in me. So the first thing a disciple does is abide in the word. And the second thing, ask whatever you wish. He abides in prayer. So a disciple abides in the word. A disciple abides in the prayer. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, a disciple, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. So a disciple is obedient to the commands of Christ because he knows them. He's been praying through the heart of God. He knows what God's asking. And a disciple is obedient. Look at verse 11. A disciple is joyful. I've told you this, so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So a disciple has this life of joy because he knows the word and he abides in prayer. And because he's obedient to God and there's this joy that results from all this. In verse 12, a disciple is loving. My command is this, love each other. And then in verse 13, a disciple bears fruit. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Now, don't miss this last word here. Go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. It's very interesting that word that will last is that word meno. It's that word abide. So we abide in Christ and then his fruit abides and it will last. It stays It remains. I mean, I love this picture. When we abide in him, his fruit abides in us. Friends, today, you need to understand that I I have these dreams for the kind of people that Waukee Community Church will be. And, you know, Colossians, Paul, he just parallels so nicely what Jesus is saying here. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. I envision a church where we do that. Where the word of Christ abides in us so that we richly teach and admonish one another. I envision a church where women don't just talk about crocheting or whatever women talk about. Probably not that anymore, but I'm not a woman. I don't know. Um, but or the men don't just talk about football, right? 
you know, we get together and we're like, hey, I don't know what to talk to you about, so we'll talk about Bears and Packers today. And that's great and fine, and I love football. Believe me, we can talk football. But seriously, I mean, I envision a church that abides so richly in the words of Christ and prayer that our, this abiding flows into all our relationships. So that when we're talking with someone, Scripture pops up into our mind and go, we can go to someone, you know, that reminded me of this Scripture, and, you know, that's awesome. Keep doing that. Or we can go, oh, no, warning, time out. You're living in a way that's not consistent with Scripture. Like, you know, this verse says something. Like where we could actually get, teach and admonish one another. Because we abide with Christ. That we use it in love with each other. Because we abide in Christ. We abide with Him in prayer. We obey His commands. And this command to love each other pours over us so deeply. So today I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to let go. You want to control your life and bring joy into your life? I want to encourage you to let go of that. Just abide with Christ. Quit controlling. Quit manipulating. When the world feels like it's spinning out of control, when it feels like everything is about to crash down on you, when you grow tired of trying to live this victorious Christian life without Christ, when you grow tired of all that, let it go, abide, and just be. Just be. Remain and abide with Him. Let me pray as we close. God, today we come to you uh, acknowledging that we so desperately want to bear fruit, but we often do it without you. And that fruit, whatever comes, is like the branch that is good for nothing. And so we need you, and we long for you, and we want to put the glory of God first and paramount in our lives. And so this is what we ask for. We ask that our love for each other would flow out of a love for you, and that our lives would be a reflection of Jesus, because we know him so intimately well. This is what we ask for. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.